We are back. Welcome back to Ambitious with Dylan Price. And this is a return. Um, sort of a three-week hiatus. I mean, it was kind of incremental because of the interview with Dr. Robert Zayas, which if you haven't listened to, please go check it out because New York State will officially be going back to school in some retrospect. So New York State sports is now on the forefront of everybody's mind in terms of what happens next. I mean, it's supposed to be a delayed season, as he talked about, but what happens next is definitely something that is of value to New York State parents and high schoolers. But this is not what today's episode is about. It is something completely different. I've talked about boxing on this podcast before, but never MMA or UFC. So that's what today's guest, Scott Fontana, MMA expert and co-host and creator of the Couchside Judges and MMA podcast. He's going to come on today and tell us all about the Stephen Miocic versus Daniel Cormier bout, upcoming bouts, some obligatory Conor McGregor talk, as we called it, and a lot of what goes into the rules and judging of UFC and mixed martial arts. It was a fun and entertaining conversation for me because this is also something where I'm not a huge MMA or UFC guy. But I love watching the big bouts, as we talk about a little bit in this conversation. And he tells me a little bit about the little nuances of some of these big fighters that I enjoy watching. Uh, We talk a little bit about an up-and-coming talent who is definitely one of those guys who will be fighting big money bouts soon. And it's just an all-around great conversation. So after a quick word from our sponsors, it is the MMA expert, Scott Fontana. Yo, what is up? Welcome to Ambitious. My name is Dylan Price. Today's guest is an absolute expert when it comes to MMA, covering the sport for 10 years. He's covered big events like Conor McGregor's win over Eddie Alvarez, John Jones' title victory, this past weekend's bout with Stipe Miocic beating Daniel Cormier as Cormier retired. He's talked to legends like Demetrius Jack or Johnson, Khabib Nurmagov, Georges St. Pierre, and he is the co-creator and host of the Couchside judges MMA podcast which we'll talk about in a little bit and he's been involved in the sport for years ladies and gentlemen welcome Scott Fontana Scott how's it going it's going well Dylan how are you I'm doing good first things first what a name Scott Fontana that is got to be one of the coolest names of any guest I've had come on this show well thank you very much I didn't have much of a choice though did I So what does Scott Fontana do to get into MMA and kind of get into covering the sport and sports journalism as a whole? Well, uh, I mean, I got into sports journalism as a whole, kind of got the bug in high school, actually. So I I had a wonderful teacher uh, named Jane Hopper, who unfortunately has since passed away, but I carry on the torch. Uh, you know, I covered it in college. I got a, a job with a newspaper while I was still in college, so I was kind of working on weekends, setting up news pages for sports and that kind of thing, and ultimately ended up uh, moving on to be able to write some as well. Uh, I loved MMA. I got into it uh, around 2008, 2007, kind of in the post-Ultimate Fighter world, and uh, yeah, kind of just kind of covered fighters like the Miller Brothers up in New Jersey, uh, a lot of New Jersey focus at this point. Uh, around 2012, I was hired by AM New York in New York City to be the sports editor, so I had a little more control of the type of coverage, so we got to cover a bunch of things like, you know, interviewing fighters like you mentioned, like George St. Pierre and, and Khabib and, and all these guys, uh, 
covering some big events like the Madison Square Garden debut of mixed martial arts with uh, Conor McGregor's win, like you mentioned. And, uh, you know, it's been a fun ride. Now, the sport has grown a lot in the time span you just kind of highlighted of you being involved in reporting. So how has it been kind of being involved in the behind the scenes of the sport and kind of watching it grow as much as it has in this past decade? You know, it's funny. So I, around the time I was starting to get into mixed martial arts, the big new thing was Brock Lesnar coming over from WWE to... UFC and MMA he really wanted to do this and I didn't watch pro wrestling anymore at this point but I knew who he was you know from his trying to make uh make a name for himself in NFL and and all this other stuff so he he just being a fantastic athlete I was very interested to see what he'd do in this sport so I started watching there and and you've you've seen along the way that this was kind of like one influx of people was when Brock came in before that it was the ultimate fighter since then it was connor you know now maybe it's someone like sean o'malley you know people like this who can kind of cross over and reach different fans you know it's very interesting to see the waves in which new fans come into the sport uh, and that's always fascinated me now you just kind of touched on the brock lesnar carryover and then the different kind of stars that have kind of been built up over the past few years you touched on sean o'malley who i'm going to get to in a little bit but one of those big stars over the past kind of few years has been Daniel Cormier, who some have said is one of the all-time greats in UFC, and I agree on that. This weekend, UFC 252 ended up being his final bout against Stipe Miocic in the heavyweight title bout. It was not without controversy. I thought Stipe did dominate most of the bout. Um, can you kind of give your take on the bout as a whole at first, and then we'll get into a little bit of the controversy that surrounded the eye poke? Yeah, I mean, this... This, to me, this was a clear Stipe fight. Not bell-to-bell, necessarily. I think round Mm -hmm. one and round four were very close. In fact, two out of the three judges that were seated cage-side to score this bout, they both gave Cormier uh, the round in round one and round four. So it it was a close bout for, you know, four rounds or so. There were two distinct rounds that definitely went to Stipe, and that was rounds two and three. So by then, you know, the fact that it was kind of split among the judges at the other point, it, it was it was a sign that Stipe definitely was in the driver's seat going into round five, and he ended up taking it anyway. So, you know, there's no controversy here. This is certainly one where you had a clear winner, a clear wrap to the trilogy, and I think that's that's kind of all you can really ask for when you get a trilogy fight like this is you definitely want someone to have definitely won, and we got that here with Stipe. Now, talking about the eye poke that has been a very big subject of conversation in the MMA world following the bout, can you kind of highlight why this wasn't really noticed and also how come this has become such a big thing over the past few years and really as of recently with it not really being penalized as much and these two have had eye pokes in the past in their bouts and an earlier one in the round or in the first round with Miocic. Yeah. Yeah, eye pokes have been kind of uh, the unfortunate uh, staple of this trilogy because, yes, yeah, every single fight, Daniel Cormier peaks, uh, Daniel Cormier, uh, he pokes Stipe in the eye. And, you know, you can, you can make an argument that in the first round, or in the first fight, excuse me, that maybe that's what led to the finish. Maybe not. It is what it is. It's, it's just one of those things that because of the nature of the gloves and the way these fighters kind of measure distance with their hands and their fingers extended, sometimes this does kind of happen. 
uh, in mixed martial arts. It, it's tough because the gloves, you definitely don't want to cover fingers so that they're able to grapple and that kind of thing. But at the same time, they're, the fingers being extended out, it's a big danger to, to fighters' eyes. So in this case, the reason it was missed by the referee is just very simply that sometimes in, when you're throwing a combo the way Stipe was, it's kind of hard to tell if it was a punch or it was a poke. It's, it's very tight there. You don't necessarily know, and, and refs, they, they're looking for a ton of things at that point. So I don't fault referee Mark Goddard here for missing it. He thought it was a punch, and I get it. Um, it's unfortunate. But at the same time, if Goddard had noticed that it was an eye poke, even if it was a kind of a bad one, he would have handled it the same way he did in round one with the poke that DC did to Sipek, and he probably would have just given a warning because that's kind of the nature of the way fouls are handled in mixed martial arts. You can, I joke about this. You, you essentially get one free eye poke and two free uh, groin strikes before you end up losing points. That's not how it truly works. But in practice, you know, watch any fight that it happens, that's kind of how it goes. Now, how does that kind of sentiment change within the sport? Is it a points kind of penalty that starts to become more established regularly, or is it something that changes with, like you said, maybe like something with the gloves? What is the way you would change it if you're in the chair right now making those decisions? Oh, I mean, if you give me autonomy over the sport and try to figure it out, I'll tell you, I would would start by saying, listen, these fighters know that they're not supposed to poke each other in the eye. They understand it's a foul. They're warned in the back before the fight. Don't warn them anymore. Just start taking points. It's you know, it's simple as that. If you start taking points right away in a mixed martial arts bout where you only have three or five rounds, each point you take is, is a very serious penalty. It really hurts your ability to kind of win at that point. So I think if you start putting that out, there's at least one deterrent there. The other one, I do think you need to fix the gloves. Uh, we have different promotions around the world, and some promotions have different-looking gloves. Pride, which uh, some people might know, was a very popular UFC rival. In some cases, it was pretty much the superior uh, fight promotion during the early part of the 2000s. And they had different gloves that essentially made it a little easier for the fingers to be curved down. So I think it would be prudent to look into ways that we can make the gloves force the fingers to point down a little bit more often. That way they're not extended directly into the eyes because we got to protect these fighters' eyes. Now, it almost sounds funny to me as we're sitting here talking about eye pokes because these are grown adults and it's almost like, why does it have to keep being something that it's reiterated? Because obviously there's accidents and you may accidentally go for a punch and then end up poking somebody in the eye. But more often than not, it almost seems intentional. And it sounds kind of funny that we're sitting here talking about this as a consistent theme of UFC bouts. I would say it's rarely intentional. I, I, really? I don't think it. I don't think it's intentional from anybody at all. Now, if hmm. you want to talk about one fighter who could be accused of it being maybe not intentional, but maybe totally okay with it happening, that would be John Jones. He's mm-hmm. kind of been notorious as as an extended finger guy. Who, you know, I don't want to say that he's trying to poke the guy in the eye, but he certainly doesn't seem to care too much. Uh, but I think most other people. It's very incidental. I, I think it just happens as a, as a result of, again, some of these things I've talked about where they're, they're kind of measuring distance with their hands out. When they're training, when they're training striking before their bouts, you know, between, you know, in the months between their bouts, 
oftentimes they're wearing boxing gloves. And the boxing gloves, of course, cover their fingers. They do force your fingers to be curved down, but they also aren't telling, they aren't, the fighter is not thinking to himself, oh, I better curve my fingers down. It's just happening. So when they get in there and they're not wearing those gloves, I theorize that it's very easy for them to just accidentally extend the gloves. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just an incidental part of the nature but of the sport, but I do think they can do something to fix the technology. Now, talking about the actual uh, or the actual bout a little bit more, this is the end now for Daniel Cormier. But what's next for Steve Miocic? I mean, he did have a very, very good bout, proved that he is still one of the best in the world. So what do you believe is next for Stipe? And then kind of talking about Cormier a little bit, what's next for him outside of the octagon? Yeah, really, Stipe's performance kind of gets lost in some of the controversy over the Pokes. He really he put on a great show. He put on a great fight. He was smart. He was tactical. But he was also, you know, he, he laid down some punishment. At the end of round two, he almost got the finish there. So, you know, all credit to him. He looked great. And he's definitely going to be an attractive option for people watching, whoever it is next. So I think there's two options, though. One, the easiest one, the obvious one, and this is the one Dana White has already spoken about, UFC president. He's saying that Francis Ngannou, a rematch between him and Stipe would be next. And I think a lot of people would love to watch that. But... Now there's all this talk from John Jones' camp in the last few days that, well, maybe he's actually going to come back at heavyweight. And that would be the fight that people honestly have been waiting to see from John Jones for probably five, six years. He's very routinely cleaned out the division when he hasn't had his personal or professional demons to deal with. And I think everybody would love to see that one too. So I do think it's going to be Ngannou next, but I think Jones will be waiting in the wings. Now, somebody like myself, a casual kind of MMA fan, looking at the Ngannou fight, you know, that's going to be a good bout, I really do believe. And I, you're, I think you're right from everything I've read a little bit in the lead-up to our talk. It seems like that's the next bout. But the John Jones fight, that's one that I would probably buy on pay-per-view, like the Miocic-Cormier fight. That's one that you get a lot of mainstream attention, kind of like a Khabib Nor- or, uh, versus a... McGregor bout, you know, one of those fights where you have to watch because you know it's going to be talked about the next day. And I think that, you know, maybe Ngannou versus Miocic, it's going to have that kind of feel a little bit. But, I mean, there's no telling the kind of impact Jones versus Miocic could kind of have on the sport. No, you're you're right there. I think the money fight, if you were just going to say both these guys are ready to take the fight tomorrow, I think the one that's going to make you the most money is definitely John Jones. Mm-hmm. So they're going to get that done, but you know him and him and the UFC, they still have kind of some things to work out. There's been a lot of drama over the last few months about Jones wanting to get paid what he feels he's worth, and supposedly, you know, depending on who you believe, the UFC has only kind of made these offers that he doesn't like, and you know, it's kind of a he said she said kind of thing as far as money goes. It's all about finding the right dollar amount that makes everybody happy, and I think they'll get that done. But it could be a little longer. I think they might try to do the the Ngannou fight first anyway. Now, talking about another bout on the Miocic-Cormier card of UFC 252 was Sean O'Malley's bout, and he unfortunately got injured in this bout. So kind of what has been the latest you've heard on the outlook for Sean O'Malley, and also what has this kind of stretch with Sean O'Malley? He's really butted into a star. So what do you think his future looks like when he's healthy, and what is the future look like in regards to his health? It's a very disappointing thing uh, to watch a kid like him with such a bright future in this sport 
because he is truly very talented as a striker. We don't know really what his ceiling is. We don't. We we've only seen a little bit of what he can do, and what we've seen has been fantastic. But yeah, this injury, and and it wasn't a freak injury necessarily. It looks like if you watch back the footage, and people weren't really talking about this during the fight night itself. I don't think people realized, but it does seem that there was an injury caused by his opponent, and it wasn't just some sort of non-contact thing. So Marlon Chito Vera getting the win there, and that was, you know, you don't want to take anything away from Vera here. He got a win very clearly and didn't just kind of luck his way into it or anything like that. But it is the second time now in three years that O'Malley has gotten hurt with, the, with I believe, the first one was his foot. And this one, we still don't know exactly what it is. The latest seems to be that there's no break but they were waiting on the results of an MRI. And, you know, that's not good. You, you don't want to have these all these injuries to, you know, a very critical part of a kicker like him. You need your feet. <laughs> you need your ankles. So it, it's, it's unfortunate that now he's dealing with this at such a young age. We've seen careers derailed for things like this before. So my hope is that it's just a coincidence and not some sort of pattern that we're seeing. So when he is healthy, what does the outlook like kind of look like for him in terms of you know future fights? Oh, I mean, he's still a bright prospect. I think it's very easy for someone to still write off this fight, even though it was not a fluke. He's still a very talented fighter. He looked like he was not this, maybe not necessarily winning or not, but he was certainly in the mix of this fight. And I think you can probably do a lot with him. He's obviously got the social media game down. He knows how to promote himself, and that's a big deal in this sport. If you want to be a star, you have to promote yourself. That's how Conor McGregor did it, and it worked for him. He's following the same model. So I think as long as he gets healthy and he gets his body right and his body cooperates, I think he'll be okay. Now, talking about McGregor a little bit, and it's, as we talked about beforehand, I feel like obligatory McGregor talk anytime you're talking to a UFC or MMA expert, but what does the future look like for Conor McGregor? Obviously, he's sort of retired again, maybe not, so kind of what does it look like for him, and is this all kind of just a lead-up to an eventual Khabib-McGregor rematch? I don't know that it's actually leading toward the rematch you're talking about, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you never really know. When you're, when you're talking with Conor McGregor, you're kind of at the whim of how he feels and what he says on social media at that given point in time. He could change his mind the next day. He's retired like three times now, so <laughs> it's not like the guy's really gone anywhere. Uh, with him, Dana says we're not going to see him again this year. Fine. You know, that's fine. I think the, the fight game kind of moves on without him. And, you know, the longer you stay away, the more stars get made. You know, we've seen... Jorge Masvidal rise, you know, these type of people. And I think eventually, you know, he's got to realize that if he really does want to keep fighting, he's he's actually got to put up there. You know, you can't just keep picking and choosing guys like Cowboy Cerrone, a tough fighter, but not a top fighter anymore. He's got to take some tough fights. He's losing respect of his, uh, his peers. Now, one of his peers that is now got a fight as of officially, I believe, today, Khabib, a guy you've sat down with, he will now be taking on Justin Cagey. So what do you think that fight's going to kind of look like and fun- coming off a fight with uh, Poirier for him and I believe Ferguson was Cagey's last fight, if I'm not wrong, but both of them have come off wins and now I, I'm, I'm thinking it's a Khabib win, but what's your outlook on this fight? I've had the, pr- 
privilege of watching Khabib's first UFC fight live in Nashville many years ago, beginning of 2012. Um, unheralded guy on the prelims, got a submission victory, it was a little rough, but, and actually I, I watched him train at the gym back when I used to train in the same gym as him in New Jersey. Uh, he used to stop by occasionally. And you just don't see the guy lose. At this point, you know what his weaknesses are, but can you get them? Can you really stop the guy from getting the takedown he wants and controlling you on the ground? He's got the Dagestani handcuff where he'll, he'll kind of grab behind your body and grab your other arm and just pound on you and not allow you to defend yourself. It's, it's really just the devastating amount of power and control that he can assert on his opponents. You know what's there, and you, you know, can you stop it? No one has. I don't know if Gaethje has what it takes to stop that. He's a wonderful fighter. He's an amazing fighter. I love watching him. He's, you know, if you like fights and you don't like Justin Gaethje, you know, something's not adding up. But I don't know that he's going to be able to stop Khabib either. I, I think Khabib can pretty much do what he pleases. No one's beaten him yet. And <laughs> I'm going to ride that train until he looks like he's going to fall off. Now, you just mentioned uh, training. Is uh, a Scott Fontana a future UFC fighter on the rise? <laughs> Flat no. I, I trained I trained jujitsu for a couple years. Uh, I'm proud to say I have a blue belt under Jamie Cruz, a Henzo Gracie black belt himself. Um, very proud of that. That's how I actually met my uh, podcast partner Dan Urban. We were training partners the first day I showed up at the gym. Uh, but I don't do any striking. My wife and I agreed a long time ago. I don't want you getting hit in the face. I'm like, okay, that's fine. I don't need to get hit in the face. <laughs> But in seriousness, it sounds like you and Khabib kind of have a bit of a relationship. He's been an uh, interview of yours. What is it? What is Khabib like behind the scenes? To call it a relationship, I think it's probably strong, but we, we've met a few times over the years. Um, he's, he can be an intense guy. He's, he's just about as intense as you might think. Um, not, not in a way that's rude or anything like that, but... There's an intensity, there's kind of a, an aura with Khabib that if you're in his presence, you can kind of feel this is a guy who's serious about what he does. And he's very committed. I think that comes from his background, his, the way he was raised by his father, who unfortunately passed away uh, in this summer from COVID-19. Uh, really tragic there. But, yeah, he, he is definitely one of the most intense athletes that I've ever interviewed. I've interviewed... Uh, plenty of athletes across different sports, and he, he stands out as someone who's got this unique feel to him. Now, looking ahead to what is another bout on Fight Island, UFC 253, headlined by Adesanya versus Paul Acosta, I think. Yeah, Paulo Costa. Sorry. Um, Costa, yep. Um, headlined by that, I've heard of both fighters. I watched the last fight Adesanya fought. And looking at this bout, who do you have winning this one, and how do you see it kind of going? I'm leaning toward Adesanya here. I think he really is just the most uh, talented striker in that division, you know, bar none. The, the way he can move, the way he sets up and feints and sets traps, is at a sophisticated level that someone like Paulo Costa, Borachinha, uh, as he's called, is not able to get. But he's a brute. He's, he's powerful. He's a good striker himself. I just don't think he's on the same level. So if you're asking me today, I'm going to say Adesanya wins. I think 
she'll probably be able to take it the distance, Borosinia, uh, but I think it's going to be a good fight, and I think it's going to be Adesanya's fight. Now, coming off his last bout, which was kind of highlighted by a lot of kicks, um, and it was kind of what a lot of people called a dry bout, and especially following up what was one of the greatest female fights in history, what do you kind of think this fight's going to be in terms of entertainment value? Do you think it's kind of going to be another tactical win, or do you think that this is going to be going against Paulo Costa, who you just highlighted as a brute and a very good striker? How do you think that these two strikers are going to match up together? I think it's going to be a lot more entertaining than the previous fight. His past opponent, Yoel Romero, is very much a patient counter-striker. We've seen this from Yoel before. If somebody's not willing to kind of come to him, it can end up looking like this, where you've got kind of a boring matchup here. And I just don't think that's going to happen. I think Costa is going to be much more offensive. I think we're going to get clashes. I think there's going to be... I think it could be kind of a drag-out fight. I could certainly see this as one ending early, too. This, this isn't one that I just look at as like, oh, it's going to be tactical, and they're going to be you know, kind of playing the game necessarily and winning on points. I think it's going to be a good fight, but I just have a feeling that they're both tough enough to make it the distance. Well, I'm excited to see that bout. And now, talking a little bit here, it's obvious you are 100% an MMA expert, and I definitely am not. So where... Can my listeners find your podcast, the Couchside Judges podcast? And can you also tell them a little bit about what this podcast is? Because I've listened to a few episodes now, and it is excellent. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah, the Couchside Judges uh, is a podcast that I host uh, with my pal Dan Urban. And we talk every week, twice a week, about judging in the sport of mixed martial arts. Uh, you know, we, we try to get guests on. We've actually got a guest coming Later this week, who is one of the most prominent judges in the world named Ben Cartledge. Uh, he was assigned to a lot of the fights at Fight Island. And he talks about kind of the theory behind judging, what it's like to be a judge. We try on the Couchside Judges to try and educate listeners on why judges score the fights the way they do. Because a lot of people sit at home, they say, well, hey, how come this guy didn't win? It's like, well, there is a reason. And it's in this paperwork called the scoring criteria. You can find it on abcboxing.com if you look around and it'll explain to you exactly how the judges evaluate fights so what our job is essentially just kind of to process that talk about it have some fun talking about the fights too but also hopefully educating people at home fighters uh, as well we've had fighters on the show and talked about it and uh, and it's a lot of fun well it is a great podcast where can they find this podcast if they'd like to go listen to it yeah, absolutely. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, Google, you know, pretty much most of the platforms that you could think of. Now, my last question for you before you head out, Scott, is one I ask every guest who comes on, and it's kind of a completely unrelated question to everything we've just talked about, but when it's all said and done, what do you want your legacy to be? My legacy? Yes. I want to be a good dad. Uh, I've got two boys at home. They're age almost five and, and two and a half, and I just, I want my legacy to be that I've put two amazing young men into the world to create positive change for everyone else. That's, that's my legacy. That's what I want. Well, Scott, talking to you, I definitely think that that will shine through on your children, and I wish you the best of luck with them. I wish you the best of luck with the podcast, and I wish them the best of luck if they are eventually UFC fighters. Is that something that you would uh, encourage them to do? 
Ladies and gentlemen, that was MMA expert Scott Fontana. My thanks once again to MMA expert Scott Fontana. It was a privilege to sit down with him. He's a cool guy, and the sport is just awesome, and it's grown a lot, and I've become a big fan of it, and I'm excited to see how UFC continues to grow over the upcoming years. And you get to hear of more incredible guys like Scott who are right behind the scenes in talking to some of the best guys in the sport, including Khabib, as we talked about, and some of the other incredible talents that are up and coming. So check out his podcast, the Couchside Judges MMA podcast, if you'd like to hear more of him and learn about the art of judging and just all that there is in MMA. And reminder, you can check out this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us on Instagram at Ambitious Podcast, Twitter at Ambitious with DP, and next week we'll be back with another episode.